second episode of season 14. We've yes. got some fun ladies tonight. It's a nice little warm spell in January. A wonderful, wonderful new year. Yes. It feels a little funny. I'm not going to lie. There's like that nagging voice in the back of my head that says it's not okay for it to be 70 degrees in January. No. But I'm also just enjoying it so much that I... It feels I, nice. Oh, God. And I love not having to have the heat, any kind of heating on. Mm. It's so nice. It is. You know, just to be able to be in my house and not worry about the electric or the oil bill. <laughs> yeah, I feel like weather <laughs> might be our favorite topic. I don't think people understand <laughs> Maryland. Like, I know a lot of places it gets really hot and really cold. Uh-huh. Um, in Maryland, it does that overnight. Literally overnight. Yeah. You I, wake up every day and it's like playing Russian roulette. Yeah. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I also was really fascinated by the news of the weather this morning because they said there's like an sky river going over like California now because like there's literally like a river of moisture in the sky <laughs> over California. It's like that sounds terrifying. Yeah. That's <laughs> not what I want to happen. That's like those really great days on the beach when like the water comes up and like stays up at the oh. top. Except it's in the sky and, you and just that's terrifying. Get, yeah. And you just get to boogie board all over the sand. Yeah. With the, and you don't have to worry about your best. kids being sucked out to sea, ah, which is fantastic. a dream. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the weather, no. even though we do it every week. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk about her story. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. Exactly. <laughs> we get our information from... The great land that is Google, just mm -hmm. like everybody else. And sometimes, so. <laughs> like this week, we're really piecing it together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you watch six videos that all say the same thing, but they each have one individual sentence that's different. Yep. And you have to, like, figure out where to work it in. See, mine was the opposite. Oh. I had, like, six different sources of Charo telling her very own story, and they were all different. Oh, amazing. <laughs> that's like Madame Tussaud. Yes. She was just bonkers of yeah. a person. Love that. <laughs> Oh, God. But you're busy yeah. dealing with your own river in the sky situation. You Big know, problems. maybe you're in California and you're just trying to get the water out of wherever it shouldn't be. One of the horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse is upon you. Definitely here um, <laughs> in the United States. Uh, but so you're busy dealing with that, but you got your AirPods in, you're like working through it, but you don't want to take your phone out to look with, up what these women look like right. because you might drop it into the water. Yeah, and terrible. Nobody wants that. So, in order to keep you and your phone safe, we're going to describe them for you. <laughs> we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So, I'm doing Queen Merimneth, and she was a queen of Egypt, but it's really, really difficult, or a pharaoh of Egypt. It's really, really difficult to say what she looks like because she lived thousands and thousands of years before Christ. So... All we have are traditional depictions mm -hmm. of Egyptians from that time period, which is usually a tall, slender body with, um, you know, a profile picture of the face on statues. There were large, heavily lidded eyes with large earlobes, long, straight black hair, usually with some sort of elaborate headdress. I've seen artists like present day depict her in like cartoon style anywhere from having like very light, more Arabic style skin to having mm -hmm. very like a dark ethnicity African style skin. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, m everything we can see of her is 
either like original hieroglyphic style paintings or statues. Mm. So I don't know what she looked like. All in other right. words, <laughs> <laughs> who are you doing and what does she look like? So I'm doing Charo and everybody pretty much knows what she looks like. Uh-huh. Um, and the best way to describe her physically, frankly, if you have not seen her, is she is the Spanish Dolly Parton. <laughs> Charo is a petite woman with a tiny waist, huge boobs, and big, blonde, curly hair. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> exactly what Dolly Parton like. And, like, serious like. lip fillers. Yes. Well, you know what? I actually don't... Th- I mean, now they're fillers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, when you look back at pictures of She Charo, just had big lips? She has big brown eyes, big lips, a tiny nose, and high cheekbones, which oh. I say are God-given but <laughs> doctor-maintained over the years. <laughs> she actually doesn't look that different. Like, because I keep looking oh. at her nose, and I'm like, her nose is, like, not natural. But then I look at photos of her from the 60s, and I'm like... I don't know. It looks pretty much the same. The same nose. Okay. So good for I her. think that she has God given looks that are doctor maintained. Got it. Um, and she has become famous for wearing revealing sparkly outfits that are always super fun, bright colors, which her sister Carmen designs. Ooh. And sometimes she dons an equally brilliant tuxedo which we'll talk about. Look at her. <laughs> wow. But yes, um, that, I mean, that's what she looks. She looks like Dolly Parton. Yeah, <laughs> like, so you does. can't get away from it, yeah. you know? And also, as we'll come to learn in my story, she is underappreciated for her r- insane talent, just oh. like Dolly Parton. Okay. Is. Yeah. I mean, I, that's an apt description. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have said it like that, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to know you're drinking? I do. This is called the First Dynasty, and it's kind of pinkish because it's got fig, like, Uh mashed up in it. So it's vanilla vodka, which is obviously something from Egypt, vanilla bean, and then Uh there's, or, like, rainforesty areas. There's fig, um, and we use dry fig. You can also use fresh fig if you cut it up and kind of... um, what's it muddle it down in the cocktail Mm -hmm. shaker and then i also poured on top any sort of like sparkling water or soda and then a little bit of mango white claw so i love it cheers vodka mango white claw getting crazy Mm. it kind of tastes like a melted down slushy yeah it's very good it could use more vodka i think probably I don't know though, because like you're you are getting the little bit of sweetness from the vanilla that's really mm. complementing the other flavors, mm. which I really like. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that this is delicious. I like it a lot. Yeah. And it tastes like it doesn't taste alcoholic at mm-hmm. all, you know, which is sometimes well, white claw nice is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I was trying to go for some of the traditional Egyptian uh flavors uh, and things that are used in drinks there. All right. Yeah, I love so, it. So tell me what you know about Queen Marinith. I don't know anything. I know that she's ancient. I know she's Egyptian. Mm. Um, I know we've done like a couple of like ancient Egyptian women pharaohs and like, I feel like all of them at some point, it's like the first Mm -hmm. like (laughs) Egyptian ruler or whatever. But I feel like Queen Marinith might be the actual first. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So, um, but yeah, but that's all I know. I don't know anything else. I don't know what she did or how she got to her 
seat of power. But. Yeah. I mean, her story isn't super long because we can only go based off of what we know. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a couple things I'm going to cover at the beginning that we talk about more in depth in our other Egyptian episodes. We've done um, Cleopatra the seventh. Katie did Nefertiti. We did Hapshepsut. Mm-hmm. So like there's so and Merit Patah. We've mm-hmm. done so many. Um, but I just want to cover a couple things real quick. Okay. The timeline is really important for us to remember that Egypt started 3000 years BC. So we're talking 5,000 years ago. So this is just like a longer time period than most of us like can maintain in our heads at this point. And we have to remember that Cleopatra is closer to us than she would be to this woman. Wow. So because so weird to think about. Yeah. That she was right in the, you know, early first century Uh AD era. She's only Cleopatra's 2000 years away from us, but 3000 years away from this woman. So like the realm of Egypt just existed for so long. Mm. So we want to keep that in mind. And then also it's no surprise here. Society in Egypt was obviously dominated by men, but we've covered like different times throughout Egyptian history where women did have rights in their society. And usually, I mean, when we covered Cleopatra, we talked about how Egyptian women had a ton more rights than the women in Greece, which was very, very true, specifically in things like noble women, not the everyday women, but noble women could inherit or like could hold power. Um, They had a lot of rights over like birth control and like sex. And then also the inheritance structure from their fathers. Mm -hmm. But in Egypt, much like many times throughout history, women got their status based on the men that they were in contact with, whether it was their husband or their father or their son. Um, But even still, there are many women in Egypt throughout history that have had great power. And as Katie said, to start off, we've done a lot of them. In fact... In Egyptian history, many of the periods of great stability were when women were in power. It usually they started as a wife or a daughter, but then they would have to take over the throne in a time of crisis when hope for a male leader was lost. But also, sadly, then afterwards, a lot of the male leaders would erase their names from the record books. Or in the case, I think you talked about in the Nefertiti episode, they literally went and like chiseled yeah. her name off of stuff so that people wouldn't know yep. that she was a leader. And mm-hmm. that's what like the descendants are doing to pretend that it was always the male yep. in charge. Which is crazy. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start a little bit before Queen Maranith in the late 4th century, 4th millennium BC. There was a warrior, a man named Narmer, who joined the two separate lands of Egypt, the northern half and the southern half, into one kingdom. He was the first ever technical pharaoh, and his wife's name was Neith. Hotep. She was the first pharaoh's wife of the ever united Egypt. The name Nithotep is related to the name Neith, which we see also at the end of Maranith. And that's because the ancient goddess of weaving and hunting was the goddess that most pharaoh wives took the name of. So her name, Nithotep, meant the goddess Neith is satisfied. Oh. And many of the queens in the first dynasty 
took on this name. Okay. And dynasty meaning running in the family, just like it means in Eastern Asian um, royalty. Historians are divided, though. Some people say that she wasn't Narmer's wife, and some people say she was the wife of the second pharaoh. Some people are like, she was the first ever female pharaoh. But pretty much we have no proof that she ever ruled on her own. She was married to a pharaoh. But later, Mm -hmm. in this same dynasty, a woman does come along. And this is where we get Maranith, which means beloved of Neith. She is believed to be the first female ruler of Egypt with actual proof. And in doing this, she is the first female monarch of all time in the entire world that we have records of. Oh, you know what? And I just made a connection. There's a podcast that's about like missing women that's called Underneath. Ugh. Isn't that cool? That I just remember that that's why they named it that because it's very, <laughs> very cool. I didn't I know. know that bonus yeah. promo. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's a great show. Um, the wife of Henry Zabrowski from the last podcast and the last runs oh, it. So perfect. good research all around. Um, yeah. But yeah, one of their first episodes is on uh, David Miscavige's wife, like oh. the Mo- not Mormon Scientology leader who like went missing. Oh, <gasps> very creepy. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Um. I just, I think it's really cool that this is the first, probably not the first woman leader of all time, but the first one we have actual written records mm-hmm. that she led an actual country. That is so interesting. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear who says that, you know, oh, well, like that is not actually true. Just like we have with the um mm-hmm. the woman who was like the first university person. Like yes. you have her degree oh, and they're yeah, still yeah. like. No, <laughs> from like the Islamic Golden Age. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, that was great. Mm-hmm. We have her like wooden carved degree, and yeah. yet still okay. <laughs> so, one of the pharaohs in the first dynasty, his name was Jur, and this is her father. And then his son's son, his son was named Jet, and his son's name was Den. So we have Jur, Jet, and Den. Okay. Don't worry too much about any of this. Okay. All you need to know is that Pharaoh Jur dies and Jet takes over. Mm-hmm. Pharaohs had tons of consorts and wives, but typically they had one royal wife or senior royal wife. Mm-hmm. Jet's royal wife was Maranith, and she was probably also his sister, which okay. was common back then, which means okay. both of their dads were Jur, which means both of their great grandfathers was the first ever Pharaoh. Of Egypt. But maybe they had different moms because of all the consorts and things like that. They're most likely half siblings. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not that it makes it any Any different. No, (laughs) yeah, no different, no better. Um, But yeah, they do. We don't have information on either of their mothers, but they were most likely different mothers. Okay. So Jet takes over, has this wife, Maranith, set out to reign, but he dies. Like, pretty shortly into his reign now he had already been married to a a, Mm -hmm. to her and had lots of different consorts and lots of different kids but i mean less than 10 years into his reign he dies and that leaves maranith in a really really weird position jet dies and they have a son den who's not old enough to be pharaoh so as far as we can tell queen maranith clears the way for her son to be pharaoh by, of course, um, getting rid of the competition. 
and or mass murder. Oh, <laughs> I don't know no. how you want to say it, but it wasn't mass murder in the sense of like a genocide. Pharaohs at that time were buried with all of their royal slaves and consorts and animals and treasure uh-huh. to help escort you into the afterlife. So Maranith just kind of like expanded the circle of people who needed to be buried with her husband so that her son would be like an undisputed heir to the throne. That is like some Cersei shit. It's crazy. Oh my God, that is brutal. However, what it also did was kept Egypt out of a civil war. Oh. So some people are like, like, look, this sounds like a very, very brutal decision, but he died so quickly into his reign that there wasn't an established heir. So okay. the Egyptian empire could have fallen apart in the first dynasty. Okay. So her being the daughter of a pharaoh and the wife of a pharaoh and the soon-to-be mother of a pharaoh is like, I see what's happening here, right. and I need to like... She's making the hard decision. She is making the hard decision. I'm not saying it's a good decision. I don't think anybody should be killed to take somebody else into the afterlife. But, like, she is saying, hey, like, I'm going to make sure that this dynasty still happens. North and South Egypt are still together. And that um, my son becomes Pharaoh. There you go. (laughs) So in the meantime... Oh, we all know about this, too, because she was so proud of it. She had the whole scene painted inside of her husband's, <laughs> her husband's burial, <laughs> which means I know she thinks she was making the right decision. Like, it was painted for us all to see. Yeah. I also feel like maybe she is like, look, I'm, I wanted to go down in history that I was politically savvy enough to, like, be fucking brutal. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, I think that she, I, yeah. I think she was like, I'm a very smart person, and, mm-hmm. which frankly, I mean, I guess she was. That's a hard. She knew what to, to do. Yeah, she knew she what, knew to, what do. to do. <laughs> oh, my God. What's interesting, though, is then she calls herself a regent. She never really calls herself Pharaoh. She is the, the queen regent of the area. Mm-hmm. And she spends her time really, really training up her son to be a great ruler. But also, she's like hoodwinking everybody. She also starts what all pharaohs start, great construction. Mm. Let's Mm -hmm. build some shit. Let's build some shit so people know how powerful I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seems like, like I said, she's hoodwinking. She's kind of pulling the wool over people's eyes as she's building herself a massive, massive tomb (laughs) so that she can be buried with the pharaohs. Yeah. She's always thinking ahead, isn't she's she? She's pharaohing. <laughs> she's just pharaohing. So what's weird about her is that there are two tombs. Okay. So Saqqara, and if you've ever watched any documentary about Egypt and it has tombs in it, you've seen the town city area of Saqqara. Like, very basic place. Uh-huh. This is where she was originally thought to be buried. It's an area that has many tombs of high-class Egyptians, but not many pharaohs. And most of the people are from the first dynasty, but not all of them. Her name was found on a lot of plaques and seals in high 
caliber Egyptian tombs. Okay. So like maybe the advisor to the pharaoh, her name would be on a plaque in there. Okay. Or her name would be in a plaque somewhere else. And they were like, oh, okay. The mother of Den, she must be buried around here somewhere. Okay. And they're like, oh, okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but then... In 1900, this guy named William Petrie found a new tomb in Abydos, which Abydos is where the pharaohs are buried. Oh. It's like the Valley of the Kings type shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's digging, doo, 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 and this is all the pharaohs from the first dynasty are buried there. He finds this new tomb, and he thinks he found a tomb of a forgotten male pharaoh because it's fucking huge and it read the name mayor neath who meant he is loved by neath but later they found that he missed reading or it was scratched off the female determinative was not there which would make it mayor neath or you know beloved of neath uh-huh they find so much shit in this tomb. First of all, it's massive. Uh-huh. It is like catacorner slash adjacent to Jet, which is her husband. Uh-huh. They find 118 servants, states officials, eight separate storage rooms with mummified animals, with treasures, with decorated plaques, all that say her name and all that have that like falcon that shows the yes. pharaoh being connected to God or mm-hmm. whatever it is. They find not only all of this, but a fucking huge ass ship in her tomb <gasps> a so that she can ship? a ship Katie so she can ride into the afterlife on a boat can you see all these all yes this? all pictures of all this is all oh mine. my god why does she have a big boat why are we still talking about king tut she's in the what desert in the world <laughs> she is riding on a boat i mean she had people buried with her who could sail her into the afterlife on this boat god bad time to be a boat captain <laughs> yeah in <Jesus>. a desert <laughs> crazy (laughs) so kings were all prepared in a certain way and this is how she was prepared which to me says that after she died people still went to great lengths to preserve her the way they would preserve a pharaoh Uh which shows respect Mm -hmm. because otherwise they would just kind of sweep it under the rug um another strange thing or i guess kind of strange is that den didn't just take over it seemed when he became of age it seems like he took over when his mom died Hmm. which would mean that people including him respected her as a pharaoh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then what's even better is he learned a lot from his mom because he went on to be a great pharaoh who dealt with invaders from the outside kept unified egypt and reigned for 40 years now, some say his reign was not actually 40 years, that half of that time was hers, mm-hmm. and they combine it to kind of sweep her under the rug um, for a part of it, and it could have been inclusive of her reign. Okay. But either way, he is considered the greatest pharaoh of the first dynasty. Wow. And some of her time is included in that pharaohness. Oh, that's so cool. So he did the most for early Egypt that could be done and some of that was his mom. God, got it from his mama. Yeah. I love that. Um and some of the time was just literally her. Yeah. Um and apparently he really loved her because in his tomb he had multiple seals and plaques detailing his life and her life and listing her as the king's mother. 
Her name is listed on the famous Palmero stone that states uh, the list of the kings of early Egypt. And that, most people say, confirms her status as a full pharaoh. Unfortunately, though, after Pharaoh Ka, she was no longer included on lists of pharaohs, which causes a lot of people to dispute that her rule never happened. Also, because Den's rule was so long, in some record books, they say that her rule didn't actually happen and she was just a placeholder for her son. So it's up for debate whether or not she was the first actual queen of all time mm-hmm. in all of history, all of recorded history that we know of. But all of the old things recognized her and all of the new things scratched her off or didn't include <laughs> her, which to me says we're going fucking backwards, everybody. Yeah. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, that's her entire story. There's not a lot on her. I know that was short, but that's yeah. all we know is 5,000 years ago. Yeah. You know, what's frustrating too is like there are so many things that we accept as truth that are literally just like so speculative, you know, and we will not like, we'll do everything we can to disprove the fact that women had any kind of power in the past. You know, it was like, I just saw this thing recent or I heard this thing on the news recently about like, there was a new animal found that they were like, this is what it was doing. And this is what, what kind of thing it did, whatever. And it was like, we're just guessing. We're yeah. guessing at that stuff, which is fine, but it's like, you're going to guess at this stuff, but just like totally not acknowledge that this could be true. Right. Like, <laughs> also, who has the energy to just be like trying to disprove all this stuff? Also, you're like saying like men back then wouldn't have done that. It's yeah. like, no, you wouldn't, <laughs> you have, wouldn't done have done that. that now. You wanted the power. You still want power. You're upset that women have power. So yeah. you're like... Uh, obviously this her son and her dad and her husband were all chill with her being like good at her job yeah. I, frustrating really frustrating <laughs> so uh, that that is her very short but i think incredible story because yeah, i mean very cool first ever female leader in recorded history i love yeah. that all right well let's get more drinks and we'll be right back with charo let's do it two birthday parties you're having (laughs) can we pick something else yeah where's the bowling alley she's like can we just hang out at your house (laughs) can i have a drink or two yeah anyways okay are you ready to get into the life and times of charo i don't know if i'll ever be ready (laughs) to get into the life and times of charo but i will sit here and and participate in it perfect well first things first do you want to know what you're about to drink. I do. It looks delicious. It looks much browner than my drink. Yes, but still kind of purpley. Which uh-huh. I, our it's cocktails cute. are really lining up this season so far. We've got it. Oh. Last year they looked like uh, last year. Actually, yeah, yes, last, last year. year. Uh, they looked identical. Yeah. Um, so this is called Prepare the Tuxedo. Okay. And it is equal parts red wine and Coke. And you add liqueur 43 and garnish with an orange wedge. So this is based off of a cocktail that I found that is a Spanish cocktail where it's just red wine and Coke. It's mm. kind of like a, I don't know, kind of like a 
cheap kind of sangria e kind of thing, cool. you know? And then I was like, oh, well, liqueur 43 is a Spanish liqueur. So I added that into it. So Fun. prepare the tuxedo. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I love anything with Coke in it, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Red oh. wine bites through the Coke really nicely. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's like a cherry Coke. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yes, a cherry Coke. The grape Coke. Or like a, yeah, grape Coke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do you know about Charo? I don't know a lot about her. Um, I mean, I obviously I know exactly what she looks like. I know she wears a lot of sparkly clothes. Um, I feel like the word flamenco. Mm-hmm. Is in my head. I know that she sings, mm-hmm. but I don't. I am, um, and she's Hispanic or Spanish. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about her life. All right, uh, I'm excited. I don't even know what year she was born. I like <laughs> nobody I <don't>... does, frankly, <laughs> and that's part of the story. Fun. She's like a Barbie doll. <laughs> um. So I got most of my information from two different New York Times articles. One is called The Brilliance of Charo by Amanda Hess. And the second one is Thank Heaven for Charo by Jolie Kerr. That's so funny. I forgot to I say love. all my sources. <laughs> That's wow. I just need to cite them because that, like, normally my biggest sources are Wikipedia. Right. But Wikipedia really did not have much on her. So it yeah. is one of my sources, but not my biggest one. And then there's a facts first video and then a video by this girl named Alexandra Amy. Mm-hmm. And she does this really cool thing where she tells you the story of a fam- famous person while she's doing their portrait, oh, neat. which is really cool. That's so fun. go check out her YouTube channel, Alexandra Amy. Okay. I am starting my story with a quote from Jolie Care, one of the authors of one of the articles I cited. She says, with Charo, you must remember that there's always a little phony baloney. But to be clear, she is delighted by her baloney. <laughs> and she's equally delighted when someone calls her on it. <laughs> so she's just a big liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah, and she loves it. <laughs> Good. Good. There's nothing more than being amused by yourself. There's nothing better. And that if anything you need to learn from Charo, it is that. She does not take stuff that seriously she's like what the fuck ever why do you care so much what year i was born i'm ageless obviously so <laughs> <laughs> i'm not dead yet that's all that matters oh my gosh but yeah so i thought that that quote summed it up so much it's like she's lying to you she loves that she's lying to you and she loves that you, you know, know she's that lying she's lying to, to you <laughs> So that's just a caveat to say there's a lot of phony baloney in here. Who knows what's true? Who knows what's fake? But this is mainly stuff that Charo has said about her own life. Okay, so perfect. If it doesn't add up. That's on her. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Rosario Pilar Martinez Molina Baeza was born <laughs> in the city of Murcia, Spain. Such a long name. Albus William Brian yeah. Dumbledore. <laughs> we know she was born on March 13th, but the year is up for debate. Her Spanish birth certificate and passport, as well as her American naturalization papers, give her birth date as 1941. She later claimed she was born in 1947. Then it changed to 1949. <laughs> and then in 1977, she asserted in a court hearing that her passport and her naturalization papers were incorrect and that her birthday was, oh, wait, I guess we don't know the date, was January 15th, 1951. Oh, so she just keeps bouncing back the years. Yeah. So who knows? January, March, 1941, 1951. 
who knows but when we get into her story it actually does matter quite a bit to see how old she was when some (laughs) of the shit was going down okay um so don't know how old she is exactly and there's also some speculation on where her name charo comes from the most accepted answer is that it was a nickname from her grandmother um based off of her name rosario so Mm. rosario charo so it rhymes it It rhymes rhymes. yeah i'll take it (laughs) and the name seemed to fit her wild and fun personality even when Chara was a child, she loved adorning herself with anything fun and colorful she could find, which unfortunately led to her coming out one day with one of her father's condoms tied into, into her hair. <laughs> it's like a rubber band, I a little so. bit. I don't know. But when she was just seven years old, her family was torn apart by the Francoist dictatorship of Spain. Her father, who was a lawyer, had all of his assets seized by the government, and he was forced to flee the country. Um, he apparently went to Casablanca and hid out for 10 years. Damn. That's how long she went without seeing her father. What was left of her family, which was her mother and her sister, Carmen, um, they scrounged up as much money as they could, and they took an overnight train to Madrid to start a new life. It's a trauma that you never forget, she said. You never know when it will hit you. But she would still spend summers at her grandmother's farm in rural Spain, where a lot of Romani people would stroll through and camp out. She describes everyone hanging out by the bonfire late into the night, playing music, especially the flamenco guitar. Charo loved music and dancing so much, and she said it was actually very therapeutic for her while she was obviously dealing with some pretty, like, heavy Heavy shit. (laughs) But this soon turned into more than just a self-soothing hobby. It was clear from a young age that Charo was a flamenco guitar prodigy. So when she was nine years old, she auditioned for a music school run by legendary guitar player Andre Segovia, and she was the only girl accepted into his class, and she was clearly the best. I don't even understand. Like, I guess I understand what flamenco is, like, if I saw somebody doing it, but Uh I don't know that I could describe the music. The fi- her fingers fly so quickly across the guitar. Wow. I have to like show you a video of her playing it because it's unreal mm. how how it goes. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like I wish I probably should have like done like an actual definition of what flamenco guitar uh, yeah. is. But yeah, it's just this very like passionate like. I don't know. It's very cool though. And is she and like a so child prodigy? Difficult. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and she knew that she was a child prodigy. She mm-hmm. was very cocky about being Andres's best pupil. And she would brag to anyone that would listen in Madrid. <laughs> and he eventually gave her his Manuel Ramirez guitar that she still plays to this day. Wow. So, like, that's how good she was. He was like, you're just going to take my guitar. The student has become the teacher. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but her parents also wanted her to have a pious education along with her musical education. So she sure. was sent to a convent boarding school at a young age. But not wanting to neglect the music, her grandmother paid for Andres to give her lessons at the convent. Apparently, he was the first man ever allowed in the convent. <laughs> and it was just to teach her how to play guitar. <laughs> Um, she said, he taught me to hold the guitar like it's a child close to your heart and play what your heart is telling you. So she attended the convent until she was 15 years old. And then according to Charo, a nun told her that she was too talented and she belonged in show business. That never happens. (laughs) That never, ever happens. 
So she left school. And this is also up for debate. Maybe she just left or maybe she graduated with honors at the age of 15. We <laughs> don't know. Oh. But she got her first showbiz gig on a Spanish children's show that was kind of like Sesame Street. And this is when a band leader named Xavier Cugat noticed her talent and her beauty. Oh. Charles also noticed him as well and saw an opportunity to advance her career. She said she stuffed her bra with napkins and flirted with him. And soon she was a part of his orchestra and they were headed for Manhattan. (laughs) Wow. Thankfully, uh, once he discovered that she was 15, she was able to take her sister and a chaperone with her. (laughs) Um, And unstuff her bra with uh napkins. (laughs) Which I have to think that she was actually 15 when this all happened. Oh, yeah. Because she obviously did not need to stuff her bra soon after when she was a little bit older. Um, But her sister Carmen went with her and has been an integral part of Teen Charo ever since. So she designs all of Charo's costumes, which is so cool. Um, So anyways, soon after they went to Manhattan, they started playing in clubs and whatever. But since she was so young, um, her and Koo got got engaged, despite the fact that he was, and I didn't mention this earlier, 66 years old. No. And she was most likely 15. I hate that. Maybe 25, depending on what you think of this whole thing. But as I said before, I am kind of leaning towards the 15 thing because I think that that's why they had to fudge her records because she was going across the Atlantic Atlantic Ocean into a foreign country with a 66-year-old man. So then they're like, Oh, no, she's 10 years older. Let's make her 10 years older. They'll get married. Everything will be on the up and up, you know. So I actually am on the side of, like, she was born in 1951. Okay. So that's my personal opinion. Um, Who knows? But (laughs) in a newspaper, one article read, 60-year-old Xavier Cugat and his 20-year-old, so again, more ages, (laughs) 20-year-old Spanish girlfriend, and uh, singing Star Charo, hope to marry in San Cugat, Spain in a few days if Cugat can convince the church authorities that his two divorces that he had before should not be counted against him since he was never actually married in a church. <laughs> so this is the kind of guy we're dealing with, right? We just want to paint so the So a King Henry VIII, the true King Henry VIII situation. Yep. Uh, but he didn't marry in a church this time either, or Spain at all. The couple would go down in history as the first couple ever to get married at Caesar's Palace Stop! in Las Vegas. That is so fun. <laughs> How charo is that? Can love you that. Believe that. I and I was like, that. that can't be true. And then I looked up the dates, and I was like, fuck, the dates line up. I it love the that. Scene where like, I'm married. Listen, Caesar's Palace is fucking beautiful <laughs> it is a phenomenal building yeah that goes Never on been. for Hope to go <laughs> miles and miles of city block it's crazy big and i'm sure it was smaller then but it's that's a cool place to get married yeah so that's where they got married wow uh and they were married for over a decade but wow. chara maintains that she only married him to move to the u.s to get her career started and she said for both of them it was more of a business arrangement which again leads me to the 15 year old thing because i think he was like she's literally a child <laughs> like, you know i think we need to fudge some things get her married you know get the paperwork all online um 
But, you know, she liked being in America and performing and getting her career started. And he liked having her in his band and on his arm. Like, I think it was a mutual, you know, kind of business thing. They were using each other. yeah, Yeah. I'm hoping, you know. So shortly after their wedding, Charo began playing with the band in casinos all across Las Vegas. And then she started making TV appearances. Her first ever appearance was on the Today Show, but she really got to be popular on the Ed Sullivan Show. Hmm. Her talent and her bubbly personality made her very popular and reliable guest. She started appearing on other shows such as Laugh In uh, and other sketch comedy shows, either playing herself or a Charo-type character. Hmm. And she never appeared without saying her signature catchphrase, Coochie Coochie. The phrase first appeared on the Johnny Carson show. Uh, when Johnny asked her what she was, she like wasn't exactly sure what he was asking her. And because it is a weird question. It's like, what do you mean? What am I? You know, but a bunny I, rabbit, but it's always like yeah. kind of chalked up to like her bad English. Now mm. but I kind of argue, like, I think it's a bad question. I think it's a rude question. It's a very rude question. So she just kind of shimmy and said, I'm a coochie coochie. And that was, <laughs> How it started. And then from then on out, she was labeled as the Coochie Coochie Girl. And it was almost her way of saying hello. So now any other show she was on, she'd kind of run out and kind of shimmy and be like, ah, Coochie Coochie. <laughs> like that was her fucking thing. It was catchy. It was fun. And it all apparently came from her childhood dog. So obviously the first thing that your mind goes to is like, a vagina, uh-huh. you know, which I think was kind of like Later also on. part of it, like, uh-huh. cause she's very oversexualized and uh, like, you know, yeah, okay. But she told Larry King in an interview, like you know, a couple years ago, she was like, Oh no, it's actually like, you know, from my childhood dog. Apparently when Chara was young, her grandmother rescued a dog. He was a mix between a St. Bernard and a pit bull. And they named him Cuchillo after the Spanish word for knife. The dog had a (laughs) terrible accident and his spine got all messed up. So when he walked, he would walk like with a little shimmy. And like literally she's like on Larry Keene. You can see the video and she's like thrusting her hips forward. And she's like, that's how the dog walked. (laughs) So Larry King, he's wild. So she said when she got on stage and she would, you know, wiggle her hips like the little cuchillo dog. And she said, coochie coochie, which was the dog's nickname. You know, she goes, you know, I wiggle my hips. I say coochie coochie and they give me money. (laughs) She goes, I made a lot of money and I didn't give any of it to that dog. (laughs) She's a businesswoman. She is a good (laughs) businesswoman. So throughout the 1970s, the Coochie Coochie Girl was everywhere, charming people with her good looks, her huge boobs, and her fun light demeanor. She appeared on many late night shows, all sorts of variety shows, which were, you know, the toast of the town back then, including the Brady Bunch variety show. Very exciting. Wow. Um, But one of her biggest reoccurring guest star gigs in the 70s was on the very popular show, The Love Boat. She was on that show eight times. And the only, I didn't, I've never seen The Love Boat. Don't know anything about it, except for that my mom got roped into a degree in recreational studies because they told her you could get a job like working on The Love Boat. (laughs) 
I've never seen that show either. Don't care to. No. Nothing about it screams fun to me. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm sure I'm mis- missing a lot of cultural touchstones from yeah, it. Yeah, probably. But or maybe whatever. not. Who knows? We've gotten this far. <laughs> um, so she's enjoying the fame and the money that comes with her career. She's doing all these live performances. Apparently, she's getting paid as much as, like, Dean Martin. Like, she is getting paid a butt ton of money right now. Perfect. Like, she is everywhere. But being the coochie coochie girl had its downsides. Number one, she was often portrayed as a dumb blonde who couldn't speak English well. And that was part of the whole Charo joke is that she's always getting words wrong, but like in a funny, sexy way, you know? Oh, yeah. Like she'd be like, oh, Johnny Carson, like you're so egotistical. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And... You know, because of her positive spin on things now, it's hard to tell if she hated this or if she was in on the joke and also making these jokes up, too. I really couldn't tell. Mm. Um, And I know that nowadays, like, you know, she kind of gets ahead on the jokes like Dolly Parton does, you know, like Dolly Parton makes you know, uh, plastic surgery drugs before you even have a chance to, right. You know, she makes fun of herself and that's kind of the field that Charo's in now, but it must've been frustrating at the time to be typecast as a stupid girl who can't even speak English when actually she can speak multiple languages and she just has a thick accent. But because of this image, the other downside of the coochie coochie girl thing is that we couldn't really see where her true talent lied for a very long time, which is obviously the guitar. Right. <laughs> so in one of her earliest, earliest TV appearances, we see Charo in a white turtleneck, long black pants playing the guitar. But once the Coochie Coochie Girl game on the scene, it was tight, sparkly, revealing numbers, and the guitar was gone. Like, you can't even, like, recognize Charo from that first television appearance. Wow. Apparently, she had asked to play guitar on every show she was booked on. She goes, do you want me to bring my guitar? I'm really good at guitar. And they'd be like, no, thank you. Like, there's no place for flamenco guitar on this late night show. And I think what the real problem is, is that a big flamenco guitar would really affect the audience's view of her cleavage. (laughs) So she was really popular. She's getting her name out there. And then, but she keeps getting told no for her guitar. And then finally, like by the late 70s, They're like, okay, fine. Like, you can play your, like, stupid guitar. Like, whatever. (laughs) So they finally, she gets a chance to, like, get her guitar out again. And she's so excited. So she simply says to her sister and costume designer, prepare the tuxedos. (gasps) Is she James Bond? So this is 1977. Okay. And we can call this the year of independence for Charo. For women. Damn. Instead of her, like, you know, tight midriff revealing, like, mini skirts and, like, holder tops, she, when she played the flamenco guitar, she would wear these stunning tuxedos that were still very sparkly, but just not quite as revealing. Because I think that she, when she played the guitar, she goes, no, I am a respected musician in this field. Like, this is my talent. Right. This is different from that girl. Yeah. She's like... This isn't the coochie coochie girl playing the guitar. You know, she goes, this is a serious, trained, classical flamenco guitar player. Right. Like, that you should respect. And I love that, like, in all these, like, kind of, like, 70s era videos of her playing the guitar, she's wearing these, like, crazy tuxedos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
And so, yeah, so she gets back into the guitar. And then another big thing happened this year. She finally divorced her husband of over a decade, the much older Xavier Cugat, and she became a naturalized citizen of the United States. But then as the late 70s rolled on, Chara was beginning to experience something many celebrities, especially kind of novelty ones like Chara was sometimes labeled as um, something they dread, which is overexposure. So she was kind of like, I'll say like the Steve Urkel <laughs> of her time. Did where it's I like, do that? You didn't want to hear that phrase anymore after some point, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're done. And so Charo, because Charo was everywhere, I mean, she was doing this same kind of bit all over literally every type of show. Late night shows, sitcoms, <laughs> variety shows. She's literally, sometimes movies. Like, she's everywhere doing the same exact thing. So people are like, okay, we're done. We don't need any more of that. And then, like, all those <laughs> studios are like, we're not going to beat the same drum again. Yeah. Like, why are we not going to show the same person over and over? So then because of just, like, but then instead of just, like, giving her different roles, they were just like, no, we're done with you. Like, that's it. Yeah. So Charo was like, all right, whatever. Like, I need a break from show business anyways. And this kind of came at a good time because another man had stepped into her life. On August 11th, 1978, she married her second husband, a Swedish music producer named Chell Rosten in South Lake Tahoe, California. So his name is spelled K-J-E-L-L, which I thought it'd be Kjell. But then I looked it up and it said Chell. Huh. So that's what a video told me. So Swedish people, if I'm doing it wrong, it's because YouTube told me to. Hit us up. So he was her husband. He was her manager. And he was the love of her life. Apparently, the two met for the first time at the Golden Globes. She said, I saw him. And I said to my sister, that man is hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and Carmen yelled at him, mister, come meet my sister. <laughs> I can't even imagine being in a room with these two. It no. must be a blast. It sounds <laughs> <laughs> really terrible for me <laughs> so like they meet they set up a lunch but like she was busy at the time because like this is 1977 so like there's a lot going on She's in a tuxedo life. girl <laughs> yeah um so it got canceled and it would be another year until they met again and charo invited him over for paella but like a classic 70s sitcom charo didn't know how to make paella <laughs> so her sister made it and snuck it into her house perfect <laughs> and apparently her sister put salt on it and Charo didn't know that she'd already salted it so Charo put a ton <gasps> of salt on it ah, it was too salty so over very salty paella the two fell in love <laughs> such a cute story that is who knows that if is it's a true. cute story <laughs> entirely made up she she saw that She's on lying. a sitcom somewhere <laughs> Then in 1981, the two welcomed their son, Shell, into the world, and Charo decided that she was going to move her family to Hawaii so her son could grow up in a beautiful, natural place. And apparently, since Hawaii has a huge uh, Japanese population, she learned how to speak Japanese while she was there. She also says that she speaks French, Italian, and Portuguese, which I totally believe. So she yeah. is fluent in a lot of languages, or at least can, like, get by. Right. Communicate. So... It's just interesting because this should have been such a sad time in Charles' life, like the downturn of her career, but it may have actually been her happiest with this family that she loved so much. She said, the best thing that happened in my life, I recommend it to you. One day you have sangria, open your legs and get pregnant. 
do it drunk. You heard it here first. Yep. So she takes a break, and then when the 90s come around, like, her son's a little bit older, you know, she's like, maybe it's time for us to go back to L.A. So they move back to California, and she builds a compound because she, I think she's also, like, very smart with her money okay. because a lot of people, it would have dried up by then. Right. <laughs> you know? But I think she's very, very smart with her money because she made a ton of it in the 70s. And so she built this compound for her, her son, and her whole, like, extended family. <laughs> You, like, all she would here. all over California would would and she's like all right I'm ready to start my career up again but this time like really on my own terms so she started booking gigs and she said I said to everybody no more coochie coochie if you invite me I will play my guitar <laughs> good perfect and she released her first guitar album guitar passion in 1994 and she has since been twice voted the greatest flamenco guitarist by readers of Guitar Player Magazine. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> she also got to do a really fun role in 1994 when she played Mrs. Toad in the animated movie Thumbelina. Which, no like, way. When I saw it, Blows I was like. my mind. I was like immediately taken back to my childhood. And I was like, I remember this. <laughs> I love that animated feature. It's so good. It's very good. So good. Then throughout the 2000s, she really started to embrace her dual identity. She was like, yes, I'm perhaps the greatest living flamenco guitar player, but I'm also a novelty of the 70s, and I'm okay with that. She appeared on reality shows such as The Surreal Life, where she lived in a house with other celebrities such as Flava Flav. I don't know if you ever saw that show, but uh, that's where I was introduced to Charo. Then she was on Dancing with the Stars in 2017, and of course, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race many a time. Of course. <laughs> she also made fun cameos in shows and movies like Sharknado 5, The Sweet Life on Deck, Jane the Virgin, The Bitch in Apartment 5, or whatever that show was called. But the 2010s ended on a very sad note for Charo. Chell, her husband of 41 years, died from suicide after a long battle with a very painful skin disease called bolos pemphigoid. Oh, man. It was a really difficult time for Charo. And she said, when I get up there, the first thing I'm going to say to him is, I'm still looking for your note because he didn't leave one. (laughs) But as painful as this was for her, Charo, as she always has, you know, is choosing life. She still performs live whenever she can, and she makes cameos on TV shows. But where you can see her spreading the most joy is on Instagram now. She says to people, you must live and you must watch out for the people you love. So in her videos, you will see her in her signature bright, sparkly, tiny outfits doing anything from working out with pineapples as free weights to vacuuming her rug in a miniskirt to cooking a sexy salad to spice up a dull Monday. And she also doesn't shy away from her coochie-coochie days. Often when she talks about her younger self, she will say, well, when my coochie-coochie was just a little (laughs) kichi-kichi. And she almost always starts off her videos with a big, hola, amigos, because that's how she thinks of her followers. They're her friends. And everyone is there to support one another. When When I read on Instagram, you make my day, they make my day. When I can make people happy, I am happy. So as of now, Charo, who is either 71 or 81, <laughs> is living her best life in California, and she's still very close to her son, Shell, who is a music- musical artist himself. 
And when the New York Times journalist asked her if she was happy with her legacy, she answered very quickly, no, I am a Capricorn and a Capricorn always goes to the top of the mountain. In my mind, it's next. <laughs> and that's the story of Charles. She is so fun. I, I love know. how happy she is. Yeah. She's just a very joyous person. Right. And I love her for I that. Love that. <laughs> I love that. Wow. I mean, what a different type of story, but so many things that like really connect, I think. I think so too. Yeah. So let's get into it in a little segment we like to call just the two of us okay so so (laughs) it is a little difficult but i want to start with like women having to like keep shit together you know i was thinking a lot about how like chara really puts it on herself to like keep people's spirits up you know no matter what she's going through in her personal life like she's a performer she's happy and someone said like she's like that all the time Mm -hmm. like the only time she is ever in any way serious is when she's playing in the guitar. <laughs> it's like she's so focused. Right. But, and I feel like that with um the, all of the female pharaohs, like we said, like they usually came in a time when like Egypt was almost in a really bad spot. Right. And then they kind of came in and like picked up the pieces. And especially with Marineith, it's like, there could have been some really bad shit going on. Like everything with that first dynasty could have been lost. Right. And she just like kept it together. Absolutely. And I think one interesting thing is, I mean, we don't know for sure with Marineith, but neither of them were really taken seriously for a very long time. And I, I bet Marineith had a lot of people around her that she continually had to prove herself to. I mean, uh-huh. we know by the end of her life, people were inscribing her name on everything, but for a long time, she probably had to fight battles just to keep that position. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's also one thing that both of them did is like, they both demanded that power and, you know, kind of, respect Mm -hmm. you know char obviously plays a part she plays a character that is not so well respected but she's like but don't forget i have this incredible talent that like nobody else can do yeah so like and i think that there's also such a great power in her being like no like i if you want to book me now like i'm playing my guitar like that's what i'm doing Mm -hmm. so i think both of them kind of stepping into their power when they needed to Mm -hmm. which was really great yeah, and Marineith, like, you know what? I am going to prepare mm-hmm. a tomb. And that's what I, I'm not sure. Like, when you said, Charo, you weren't sure if she hated it or if she was in on it. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder that about Marineith. Like, was she building that tomb because she was in on it? The fact that they were going to scratch her name off of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she wasn't late enough in egyptian history to have seen that done to other people but Mm -hmm. maybe she understood from other events in her life that that might happen Mm -hmm. and i think it's very similar to charo kind of making the joke first like i'm gonna jump the gun Mm -hmm. make sure everybody knows this is what's up and then we can all move on yeah and i think that also like we can see her social media presence as kind of like cementing her kind of image and Mm -hmm. she's like okay now i have total control this is my own personal account that like i make my videos I post what I want. And I feel like Marineith did that too of like, this is my tomb. I'm going to put whatever the fuck I want in it. I'm going to make it this size. I'm going to make it in this location so that no matter how people treat me in the future, I will make, I will do everything in my power to cement my legacy right, to have this. Yeah. And I think that Charo is doing the same thing. She goes, I know that people think I'm stupid. 
I know that people think that I'm just like a seventies novelty, Mm -hmm. you know, she goes, and that's okay. Mm. You know, I'm fine with that, but I will also put my own stamp on the record that shows that I'm a very talented person and I'm very smart and, you know, but also not trying to like force people into like thinking anything particular about her. Yeah. I think they were both very calculated. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that they both married men as kind of a business <laughs> situation. Business transaction, yeah. Because, yes. like, obviously in Maranese time, it's like every marriage was like that. Right. You know, like, that was just how her world worked. And it's interesting that that's, like, we're here in the 60s and that's still how it's working. Mm-hmm. It's, like, women marrying men as a part of, like, okay, well, like, I need to get X, Y, Z done. So, like... You know, but I also, I don't know. I just think that that's an interesting thing because I think Charles was a little more planned. Oh, sure. But also how planned could it be if she was 15? You know, I don't know. They both made similar choices in husbandry Uh and then they both made similar choices for their sons. Like Charles, like I'm going to move to Hawaii and raise him in this beautiful place. And Maranith is like, I'm going to do everything I can to protect his right to the throne and Mm -hmm. make sure that I clear a safe path for him and for Egypt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which is wild yeah that is wild and i also like i w- i would hope that marineth had what charo had with chell right somebody you know, in her somebody life. in her life you know i hope that she had some consorts of her own yeah you know, i feel like we t- i feel like one of the reasons that male historians predominantly now don't think that women could have ever been in charge it's like well like you know kings had consorts they had concubines like whatever and it's like Okay, but, like, did the female rulers have that, too? We don't know. Yeah. You know? Because none of them were getting pregnant. Yeah. So we have no idea. But we also know that the Egyptians had lots of ways for contraception, as we talked about in our Merrick Pata episode. So, (laughs) yeah. Were they just better at dealing with that shit? Or was she, like, having kids and being like, okay, I'm just like a man, like, having kids, sending them off, like, you know? Yeah, we have no idea. We have no fucking idea. It was too long ago for us to have any idea. Yeah. But... They were both One firsts. One dream. I know. I like they were both first. I feel like first yeah. women mm-hmm. and fun. Yeah. Very cool. All right. I think that's it. I think that's it too. Let's sweet do it and up. short and I know. fun. Beautiful. Uh, all right. Who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast women. I, I would like to think that Maranith had the forethought to know that she was going to be kind of erased. So I just mm-hmm. want to cheers women who do something knowing they're not going to get the recognition, but you're doing it anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cheers. Mm. All right. Um, I'm going to toast women who spread joy in this world. I think that Chara was such a, she's such a positive force mm-hmm. in the world. And like I was watching her Instagram videos today and they're all so fun and so sweet and she looks crazy and I <laughs> love it. And I think for someone who has gone through some like real hardships and has worked really hard to get where she is, it's like, I don't know. It's fun that her mission isn't to like make people be like, feel bad for me. Cause like, you know, my uh, father was, you know, exiled feel bad for me. Cause my husband committed suicide, feel bad for me because of this X, Y, Z. It's like, She's like, you know what? The best thing that I can do 
to make this world a better place so things like that don't happen as often to other people as I can spread joy. Mm. And I love that about her. Yeah, that's great. Joy spreaders. Cheers. (gasps) All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I finally gave in and read Beyond the Wand. What which is that? I've been wanting to read. <laughs> it's a book by Tom Felton, who played Draco oh, Malfoy. Fun. And it's like a miniature memoir. You know, he, he was born in 1987, so he's a year younger than me. So I just, I wanted to read it. Obviously, everybody knows I really like Harry Potter, but I also know he struggled a little bit with addiction, with alcohol, and I wanted to read about that. And I just, it was fun to read yeah. about his life. And it, it was just a cute and quick memoir that was nice to get through because now I'm in the middle of the one um for Matthew Perry which is very dark I was wanting to read that it is very dark okay I would say read them as a pair okay (laughs) because (laughs) the one is like a little bit more uplifting because he was young and kind of dealt with this problem and the other one is very like I'm in my 50s and my entire life has been destroyed (sighs) so but they're both in like well-established American, yeah. British, worldwide loved movies and shows. Interesting. So. All right. Beyond yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Beyond <laughs> the one. All right. I'm going to promote a product that I got literally yesterday. Okay. I'm already very into it. <laughs> so I, my ears are famously very small. My ear holes. I have never been able to use Apple headphones. Headphones, yeah. Never in my life. The only ones I've ever been able to use are like the big, like over the head ones, you know, or Skull Candy headphones because they come with smaller jibs for the ear holes. And really? I have to replace them. That's how tiny my ears are. Amazon.com right uh-huh. now is selling wireless earbuds that wrap around the ear and have the option for the smaller jib for the outside so it so, hangs on as well yeah so it's like wrapping over your ear and it's going in your ear i mean i ran two and a half miles yesterday and they didn't fall out that's a big step for you very exciting because i like the over the head ones but when i'm running it's like they push my hair up and then yeah. i have like a little like i don't know, like pterodactyl kind of thing going right. on in my head and i don't like that mm. um and they kind of hurt my ears so uh-huh. these ones if you're a person with small ears very good. And they're only right now they're doing like they're usually like 30 bucks. Uh-huh. They're having a sale right now for $24. Wow. And then some of them are going for as low as 20. So if you are looking for some wireless he- earphones and you have small ears or you just want a cheap pair, this is a really good find. It's time. So they're like J Lab um headphones, I wireless headphones and they're great. Um and I love the little like thing that they come in, mm. especially cuz they like magnet in place and they charge while they're in their little pods so like when you're i I guess everybody knows this because more people have airpods than i've never seen them but like the case itself is what you charge so like i don't know i I just think it's cool so the battery life is supposedly very long and i think the sound quality is okay you know pretty good i don't need anything too crazy right you don't need it super loud no i don't need bose headphones save your ears thank you very much um, but yeah, so if you're looking for some new wireless headphones to reach your 2023 goals, uh, I would recommend those ones. This is it. Yay. Fun. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners, on this journey. You can through. find us literally <laughs> everywhere you look. Yes. 
Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all your favorite places. Um, you can type her story on the rocks on Google. Oh, Lots yeah. of things come up. Articles mm-hmm. we've been in, our website, mm-hmm. all the stuff. Exactly. Um, and you can join us for cocktail or tipsy Tuesdays every Tuesday. We post pictures and the recipes of our cocktails, unless I forget. And then it's wine Wednesdays, but don't worry. I will post it eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you wouldn't mind, uh, go on Apple podcast, rate and review us. That would mean the world to us. Yeah. We have some books to send out for our yes. friends who have rated and reviewed. You'll get sister's book. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And if you want the conversation to continue, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, which we have some exciting news. <gasps> Very fun. All right. We love you. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women. Hmm. Don't say coochie coochie on TV. No, they don't. And they rarely <laughs> make history. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.